Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Shoshana Bryan, Senior Director of the Jewish Policy Center and Editor of InFocus Quarterly, join us to discuss what was that about F-35s, demystifying Israel's qualitative military edge. Ms. Bryan will speak for 10 to 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And, when no, and with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Ms. Shoshana Bryan. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to address a Middle East Forum audience. Um, yeah, what about those F-35s? Um, First, it requires that we look at qualitative military edge for Israel from the historical point of view. Every administration since Johnson has had as its cornerstone security commitment to Israel, something called the qualitative military edge. It's defined as, and the words are important, so I'll read them here. Israel's ability to counter and defeat credible military threats from any individual state, coalition of states, or non-state actor while sustaining minimal damages or casualties. The commitment was written into law in 2008 and every security package that comes before the Congress has to take into account Israel's qualitative military edge. So what happens when the US agrees to sell the F-35 jet fighter, the most sophisticated plane in our arsenal to the UAE after the UAE establishes relations with Israel? Is UAE permanently out of the group of individual states or coalition of states that QME refers to? Can other states get out? Following the, um, the announcement, Israel's energy minister, Yuval Steinitz said, the US has no, um, that Israel has no power to prevent the United States selling advanced weaponry to the Gulf states. Steinitz in an interview said that if Qatar and Saudi Arabia want it and are willing to pay, no doubt sooner or later, they'll get the aircraft and the other weapon system. I'll take issue with the point on Qatar in a minute. But as a reminder, for a long time, there's been no doubt that Arab states could get what they wanted. The QME formula of other precedents notwithstanding. In 1981, one of the first things Ronald Reagan did was plan to sell AWACS to Saudi Arabia. Uh, it engendered a huge fight in Israel, specific in the Congress, specifically over QME. The administration tried to sell Saudi Arabia as a um, helpful moderating influence in the region. Israel and its defenders saw Saudi Arabia as participating in all of the Arab states' wars against Israel, exerting pressure on countries that had diplomatic ties with Israel, meaning uh, in Europe as well as Egypt. And in terms of Egypt, they mobilized all of the Arab world or tried to against the Camp David Accords and a boycott of Egypt. They were also bankrolling the PLO. Reagan won, and that should be a lesson. In November of 1981, after the AWACS vote, the US and Israel had their first memo on strategic cooperation. And it said, and here again, I'm gonna read because the language is very important. United States-Israel strategic cooperation as set forth in this memorandum is designed against the threat to peace and security of the region caused by the Soviet Union or Soviet controlled forces from outside the region introduced into the region. It wasn't about Israel and the Arabs, it was about Reagan's concern about the Russians. And here you see the beginning of the divide between what we mean and what other people might mean. I mean, we're fairly specific about what we mean. By the way, the, um, the memorandum of strategic cooperation was suspended the following month. I mean, the month after it was signed because Israel had applied 
sovereignty to the people of the Golan Heights, uh, to the land of the Golan Heights, and the U.S. was unhappy about it. They reestablished that memorandum in 1983. One of the problems, um, one of the promises that Reagan made for the AWACS was that the sale contributes, as he said, directly towards stability and security of the area and enhances the atmosphere and prospects for peace. Significant progress toward the peaceful resolution of disputes in the region has been accomplished with the substantial assistance of Saudi Arabia. That was 1981. In 1986, they were ready to turn over the, uh, the keys to the AWACS and Reagan certified that the Saudis had met all of the conditions um, technology security, not letting anyone else see the interior workings of it. But remember at the time, the Iran-Iraq war was going hot and heavy and the US had a position on this and Saudi Arabia was helpful in making progress on the Iran-Iraq war, not progress on the Arab-Israeli wars. Which is simply to say, after all of this, not to say anything negative about Ronald Reagan, but to say that presidents basically do pretty much what they want to on pretty much all of these things. But it also says you have two different things. One is US-Israel security cooperation and the other is Israel's qualitative military edge. Security uh, cooperation is broad and deep. I'm not gonna go into details here, uh, but includes R&D, it includes joint exercises. Did you know that the UAE flew in a joint training exercise with Israel two years ago? That's how long ago this conversation with UAE began. Um, there are new technologies and more. If Middle East Forum wants to do something qualitative on, on US-Israel security cooperation, I've got lots of material. But in terms of arms sales to the Arab states, um, that's something else. You might consider too what US Defense Secretary Mark Esper said to Israeli uh, Defense Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Benny Gantz in the context of conversations about the F-35. Esper said, it was important for me once again to reaffirm the special relationship between our two countries, the commitment we have made to Israel's security based on our shared values, our shared history. And I want to thank you, Benny Gantz, for your personal efforts in the past few weeks. Commitment to Israel based on shared values, not any credible combination of likely military threats. Gantz thanked Esper for his commitment to Israeli security, saying, indeed, over the past few weeks, you and I led, together with other people, very good and very important discussions that reassure the bipartisan commitment to Israel's qualitative military edge. Now that we are entering an era of positive normalization, this is still Benny Gantz, um, in the Middle East, which can actually face an aggressive Iran across the region. This ability of continued cooperation is so very important. And I'm looking forward to hosting you in Israel and there's more, but the important part is that Benny Gantz mentions QME, qualitative military edge, only in terms of facing Iran, a single country, not any credible combination of likely military threats. Part of what Israel will get from this conversation uh, is an agreement to accelerate the delivery of weapons Israel has already planned to receive, including new helicopters, um, which Gantz said would, quote, significantly upgrade Israel's military capabilities, fortifying its security and Israel's regional military security. Regional meaning Iran. So that accounts also for what appears to be a decision to sell Israel top of the line bunker buster bombs. You know what bunkers they want to destroy. They want to destroy bunkers in Iran. Um, Israel has sought bunker buster bombs 
since the George W. Bush administration. They make their own, but the ones that we have appear to be qualitatively better. Israel has been denied. Every time they've sought those bunker busters, they have been denied, it appears. Now they will get them. It's a long process involved here. It's not happening very quickly, but that does appear to be what's on the table. Um, it also reemphasizes the US support for Israel's qualitative military edge and Israel's security in the face of the Iranian threat. It does not by any means counter the F-35 threat uh, being in the UAE. So if you think that the UAE is a potential threat, it's not in there anymore. The Gulf states and probably Saudi Arabia too have disappeared. The language says credible military threats from any individual state, coalition of states or non-state actor. We appear to be left with any individual state, meaning Iran. This will give Iran hives. I'm all in favor of that. Israel also, it appears, will get precision guided missiles and direct access to US satellite imagery. Again, um, if you're looking at the broad region, it's a big boost for Israel. If you're looking at Iran, uh, not only hives, but you know, I don't know what's the next thing that comes after hives. The Iranians have to see that, that um, the United States is supporting Israel in such a way as to be able to attack um, Iran. And it's okay, that's good. That's what we're worried about. We're worried, we the United States, we are worried about Iran. Israel shares that worry. And the UAE shares that worry and Saudi Arabia shares that worry and Bahrain shares that worry. So the coalition of states in the Gulf that Israel used to see as potentially buying up rafts and rafts of uh, Western military te technology in order to use it on Israel that group of countries no longer appears to be the threat panel for Israel. Certainly it doesn't for the United States either. So what about other countries? You know, they're, they're disappearing, right? You notice I said the Gulf states plus the UAE plus Saudi Arabia plus others. Um, Qatar is an exception to that rule in my opinion. The short answer is that Qatar should not be able to be removed from any potential coalition of states, not because the coalition of states um, is a Gulf state Saudi Arabia coalition, but because Qatar carries water for Iran uh, everywhere with Hamas, with Hezbollah, with Turkey. Yes, Qatar has relations of a sort with Israel. They talk to the Israelis. In fact, the aid that goes to the Palestinians in Gaza from Qatar is actually delivered from a guy whose office is in Israel. Um, and it has good relations with the United States in general. But if you're worried about a country receiving US technology and then either using it against Israel or sharing parts of it with Iran, uh, the country I would be concerned about is Qatar. Uh, but it's not the only country. Uh, I have to say, I would be concerned about the United States as well, in a sense. If the US turns away from its current and what I consider appropriate preoccupation with Iran and returns to the premise that making the Palestinians happy or creating a Palestinian state is America's goal in the region, America's policy toward Israel could become less cooperative and more confrontational. In 2011, an Obama administration official told the Washington Institute for Near East Policy audience, I'm gonna quote again, because it's important to go where people go. Neither, Israel as a, neither Israel's future as a Jewish democratic state nor the legitimate aspirations of the Palestinians can be secured without a negotiated 
two-state solution. Israel itself is not immune from the winds of change. I apologize for the ringing in the background, but I'm not gonna get up. Israel itself is not immune from the winds of change. Obama outlined a comprehensive vision for peace between the parties, including goals and principles Sorry. President Obama outlined a comprehensive vision for peace between the parties, including goals and principles for negotiations. In doing so, this is still an Obama administration official. He laid a firm foundation for future negotiations. His vision carefully weighs and balances difficult trade-offs that the parties will need to make, which we believe are necessary to reach our common goal, two states for two peoples, if that's where you're going. I'm not sure that the current administration is going there. I'm not sure that any future administration won't go back there. There's a new European quintet on um, negotiated policy. The Palestinian Authority certainly wants to stay on the path and ignore the political changes in the Gulf. Israel appears not to be going there. Is the U.S. going there? I think we'll see. It would be a mistake, a huge mistake for the United States, not to mention for Israel. Um, there was a time that the allure of war and the ideological principle of destroying Israel was a priority for the Arab states. The three no's of Khartoum in 1967 had nothing to do with Palestinian states or borders. They were a blanket rejection of the state of Israel. And for the last 30 years, American diplomats have been telling you that they reject Israel because there's no Palestinian state. It's not clear what the relationship was, but what was clear was American policymakers thought uh, the Arab street was the great threat to conservative Arab countries. Uh, and that the Arab street was gonna rise up over the Palestinians or it was gonna rise up over Jerusalem. Not exactly as it plays out. There is an Arab street, but it's not just about Israel. The real watershed for Arab governments was the Arab Spring of 2011, which turns out was not an uprising to be put down, but a river to be managed. It was ugly. It removed the government of Hosni Mubarak, created a Muslim Brotherhood state that lasted until it was thrown out in 2014. Libya crashed in 2011, and the war there has killed thousands of people and released enormous amounts of weapons into Africa. Uh, wrecked industry, fueled the migrant crisis, you know, provided weapons for ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And we can't seem to get a handle on it, no one can. And of course there is Syria, where the promise of the Arab Spring led to the Syrian civil war. Um, more than 600,000 people have been killed and uh, more than half of the Syrian population has been displaced. These are all a function of the Arab Spring funded by Iran's large yes to a large measure. Um, but more importantly for this conversation, it was backed by policies of the Obama administration that wanted to win Iran back and essentially caused the chaos in the region because it funded Iran it talked to Iran, it held out Iran's place in the region, and the conservative Gulf states were really very upset by that. Now, now that they've had almost 10 years of Arab Spring, war and ideology pale in comparison with figuring out how to deal with the world as it is. The Arab states plus Sudan are now taking into account their own national interests and the issues and interests of their own people. You can see it in the Arab criticism of the Palestinian Authority in Hamas, and you can see it in their willingness to work 
first under the table and quietly, but now increasingly overtly with Israel. Is it permanent? Who knows? Should it be encouraged? Absolutely. Will it change the nature of our arms sales to the region? Yes, certainly. And there I'm going to stop because I think there are questions. <laughs> there are. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we certainly learned a lot. Um, so the first question is, isn't it possible that the F-35 sold to the UAE may fall into enemy hands? Only if they use them. Um, okay, look. Anything that you sell abroad can fall into anybody's hands. If you posit an, an Iranian war against the UAE, I suppose it's possible that they could capture airplanes. I suspect the war won't get that far be, before Israel and the United States uh, come to the rescue of the UAE. So I don't have a great uh, concern about that as it is. So the second question is, how could Israel employ the bunker buster bombs? Would Israel first require additional delivery platforms from the United States? And is Israel likely to be able to timely employ bunker buster bombs if the situation so indicates? Very good questions. Um, the bomb is not coming anytime soon. As I say, it has to go through the congressional process. We don't really have a Congress. We're gonna have a Congress that comes in in January. I mean, you're looking out the road for the delivery of the bombs. Israel has said for a long time, and I think is able to, um, to carry out its plan, that, that Iran will not have usable nuclear weapons, and that Israel is prepared to ensure that Iran doesn't have usable nuclear weapons. Bunkerbusters are only one part of that. There are other ways to deal with it. And by the way, the biggest problem that Israel will have with a bunker buster is not a delivery system. It's a moral problem. Most of what the Iranians have built in the last 10 or 15 years is under cities. And those cities are populated by civilian people. It is not gonna be Israel's first goal to destroy Iranian people or destroy Iranian cities. This is what they learned from, um, you know, North Korea learns these things. They learned it from the um, taking out of Saddam's nuclear capabilities. Oh, Syrac had a lot to do with this separate and bury and harden your parts. And there is going to be a question of how you do these things. But bunker busters, in my opinion, are a last best hope bomb. If you really have to go there, that's the bomb you want to take with you. Oh gosh. Um, so if Biden wins the election, do you anticipate that Israel will get all the military equipment promised, including the bunker busters? I don't think the Biden administration will withdraw the conversation from Congress. Now, Congress may look different in the future. So, so there are all kinds of ways that the sale could be derailed. I mean, it needs the approval of Congress. So Congress is at the moment, you know, on the right side of those issues. I suspect it will go forward. And if Congress doesn't change too much, I don't see it being derailed. There are people, by the way, who would like to derail the uh, F-35 deal, you know, which also has to go to Congress. Uh, Elliot Engel, who will not be in the next Congress, but who wields a lot of authority even now as a lame duck, and Bob Menendez, two very good friends in Israel, are opposed to, I won't say opposed, they had raised questions about the sale to UAE. So nothing is in stone yet. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Israel and the Gulf states are prepared to confront Iran militarily if it comes to that? Uh, I think that's what Israel lives for. 
I think the Gulf states want Iran to be contained, if not destroyed. Uh, government, not people, not people, um, let's be clear. And I think they are prepared to help, which means that if Israel needs a refueling stop, if Israel needs something additional, uh, I think Gulf states and Saudi Arabia, by the way, are prepared to be helpful. One of the things that, and we're not doing this at all, that the, Israel's relationship with Azerbaijan was partly based on the fact that Israel was used as airy, uh, airspace to train for such missions. And there are people who believed that the Israel Air Force would take off from Azerbaijan to strike Iran. Um, it will be harder now, but there are people in the area who want to be helpful. I think the Gulf states do. Along those lines, if Israel were to attack Iran, they would need the electronic countermeasures in the air to defend against the uh, surface-to-air missiles. Uh, would anyone be willing to help them out with that, do you think? Possibly. Possibly we would. Possibly, yes. Possibly what the Iranians have acquired from Russia is not as good as people think it is. Um, so be aware that, that we tend to inflate the capabilities of our adversaries, and that's actually a very good thing because you don't want to underplay them and then find your military in an untenable situation. But it isn't at all clear that, that the Iranians are very good at these things. So just keep in mind that Israel is very good at these things. We know that. So we've talked a lot about Iran and um, shouldn't Israel worry about the Turkish aspirations towards the region rather than developing the US relations with the Saudi UAE axis? Are you inviting me for another six-hour conversation? Because <laughs> well, the Turkey thing could be a six-hour conversation. Turkey is absolutely of great concern to Israel um, in terms of its dealings with Libya. And that's the border that Turkey and Libya have created in the Mediterranean Sea. And they claim that one half belongs to Turkey and one half belongs to, to um, Libya. Yes, there's a huge problem with Turkey. I don't know what Israel should be doing about it at the moment. There's still trade between Turkey and Israel. Never mind what Erdogan says, there is still trade. Um, Turkey is a NATO country. I think the NATO countries are going to have to deal with Turkey in some fashion. I'm not sure really what Israel can do, but yes, it's absolutely, unquestionably, a major concern for them. So you're talking about um, using Azerbaijan as the military airspace uh, to do the practice runs. Um, do you foresee the possibility of Israel being able to place military assets in the UAE, which is uh, much closer to Iran? I'm, I'm sure the people of the UAE are hoping so. Okay. Because it will work to defend them as well. It's, it's not as if um, anybody in Iran says, oh my God, look, the UAE suddenly hates us. Everybody knows what this is all about. Mm -hmm. there, there is no lack of understanding. But yeah, I think Azerbaijan is out of the question for the time being. Um, did you ever wonder how those uh, documents that Israel took in Tehran and moved out of Tehran went, they went north, okay? So, so that's a big loss for Israel, um, but I think it's a loss for the time being. So yeah, they have to look elsewhere. So of course we have to address this issue. We're talking about the Arab Spring and how it affected other countries in the region. Do you believe that the UAE is political, politically and economically mature enough to withstand an Arab Spring? Um, I think they're diverting their Arab Spring very nicely by employing technology. Like, I think they intend to. I think they clearly intend to. The conversation right now between Israel and the UAE is about an oil pipeline, a natural gas pipeline from the UAE north through the Red Sea 
Uh, and then the, um, what do they call that thing? The Dead Med Canal or the, you know, the Ashkelon um, Red Sea Pipeline, which would allow the UAE to export to Europe without having to pass through the very, very narrow Babel Mandeb Straits at the bottom of the Red Sea, uh, which is only 18 miles across, which if Iran wants to blockade it is a real possibility. So the UAE is looking toward its future. They're talking to Israel about taking their one major asset and running it across the state of Israel. That to me indicates a government that is absolutely committed to the future, including Israel. Um, yes, you also have, by the way, there was an Israeli soccer player who scored the first goal for the UAE team. I guess it was yesterday. Somebody sent me a clip today and they're all cheering and they're banging on his back and it's all exciting. And I don't care if you like soccer or not, but the idea that they have this guy on the team and they cheer for him. Um, I think it's a, a, an indication of where the UAE is. If other people are there, they're not showing it quite as much yet. Okay, the, the Saudis are certainly not negative here, but if anyone thinks Saudi Arabia is gonna jump, um, I suspect not. They have other kinds of internal problems. Not so fast. That is certainly a great indication, I'm sure. Uh, we do have a question in, can you elaborate a little more about the renewed interest by Jordan in the Palestinian West Bank? Jordan is complicated, to put it mildly. Jordan also signed, by the way, a new aviation pact with Israel two weeks ago, um, which means that Jordan also recognizes the broader changes in the region. They can't really give up the Palestinians, um, at least rhetorically they cannot, because they are a majority Palestinian country. And the one thing Jordan does not want is the overthrow of the king. The king is a Hashemite, the king's an Arabian, okay? He's important because he is uh, the guardian of the mosques. The Hashemite family is the guardian of the mosques, Mecca, Medina, and Jerusalem. Um, so he's fairly untouchable most of the time. But you remember in 1970, uh, Black September, they tried to overthrow him. That was Palestinians trying to overthrow the Hashemite king to get control of the kingdom. So Israel has every reason to want Jordan to stay stable. Jordan has every reason to want Israel to help it stay stable, but it has to bow in the direction of the Palestinians. And by the way, there's a US interest here, um, which is that the Jordanians allow a terrorist, Ahmed Tamimi, a woman who was responsible for the Sparrow Pizza bombing, a woman who was responsible for the death of American citizens, and who was on the FBI's most wanted list of, of uh, fugitive terrorists, they allow her not only to live in Amman, but to be on television and radio in Amman. And so the United States um, ought to do better here, in my opinion, to try to get Ms. Tamimi to come to be extradited to the United States. We've, we've failed there. So before we go, can you just elaborate a little more on Qatar and the US relationship there? And Oh, schizophrenia, really. Qatar is in some ways a very modern place. It wants the benefits of Western technology. It wants the benefits of um, money. It wants the benefits of a lot of things. And so it is um, by and large, it tries to maintain relations with the United States, good ones, and with Israel, good ones. They do talk. I, I mentioned um, this guy who runs the Palestinian um, um, charitable money that comes from Qatar. He's actually in Israel working with the Israeli authorities to bring the money in. And he gave an interview for which I suppose he was punished in which he said that it was so much easier to work with the Israelis than the Palestinian Authority and Hamas and all of that. But 
he still seems to be there and living. So, um, so they do that on the one hand, but on the other hand, Qatar hates Saudi Arabia because they believe, it's all tribal, they believe that they should have been able to rule the Arabian Peninsula. You know, the Wahhabis uh, and, the, and the Saud family are minority, the Saud family, it's a, it's a tribe, right? So the Qatar tribe thinks that they should have won those wars in the 30s and they should be Qatari Arabia and they hate the Saudis for which they cooperate with the Iranians. And that's really what you need to know. Wonderful. And is there any dark side to this? Do you see the normalization process? There's never a dark side to normalization. Mm -hmm. The possibility is, any normalization is good normalization. The possibility is that these are not strong enough states to maintain their governments. But part of the goal here is that these guys want to stay in power, partly because they saw what happened to Gaddafi. I mean, you don't want to be dragged through the Never mind, it was disgusting and they don't want to be Gaddafi. They don't want to be overthrown. They don't want a war. They don't want to be Yemen. So they have to figure out, it's a very narrow uh, bridge that you that you walk. You know, the Jews talk about it, the, the Geshert Sarma, oh, the, the narrow bridge that we cross in this world. Theirs is a very narrow bridge. Um, their goal will be to stay in power. At the moment, it looks like Israel helps them do that. I believe that for the long term, Israel helps them do that. I think that's where the future is. It's possible that we're all wrong. I hope not. I really hope not. And I really don't think so. But you always have to account for the possibility that we're wrong. Of course. Well, thank you so much. Oh, God, um, we're going to leave on a down note? We always have to. No, we're going to leave on you telling us where we can find some more information. <laughs> OK. You can find more information. I will boost my own website first. Uh, Jewish Policy Center, jewishpolicycenter.org. That's it. Wonderful. Well, come and, come and visit us. Come and follow us on Twitter at the JPC. You know, there are lots of places and we love to be a source of information. Uh, jewishpolicycenter.org. Thank you for this opportunity. It was very lovely. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. For our viewers, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offerings email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you.